Good morning, everyone. I am Mark, and I get the blessing of leading the discussion today. We are in week three of a seven-week series called The Six Symbols of the Gospel. Uh, The first week, we talked about the introduction of just kind of the, the heart behind why we're doing this series, uh, and we talked about the Star of David that we believe, uh, or I believe, uh, can symbolize the story of Israel as told in the Old Testament. Then last week, we talked about the Cairo, which is uh, the X and the P superimposed, which is the first two letters of uh, Christ in the Greek language, and that symbol being used as a a uh, powerful symbol in the ancient world to uh, bring together Christians. Uh, today we're going to be talking about what I believe is one of the most misunderstood symbols of the gospel, and that is the cross. But before we get into that, I'd like to read you a quote from Alistair McGrath from his book, uh, The Mystery of the Cross. At the center of the Christian faith lies a picture. Christian art and architecture, literature and hymns are dominated by the symbol of the cross. A symbol, however, both invites and demands thought and reflection. What what are we to make of this symbol? What does it tell us about God and the world or about our nature and ultimate destiny? Why is, this, why is it at the center of a faith in a loving God lies a symbol of death and despair, the dreadful picture of a man dying through crucifixion? The, the symbol of the cross has been uh, used as a symbol for Christianity since the second century. In fact, the cross grew in popularity and use so much that uh, the uh, early uh, church fathers uh, had to defend uh, uh, the use of the symbol because many uh, non-Christians thought that Christians actually worship the cross and not Jesus. Also, this symbol uh, represents for a lot of people the, the great commandment, the simplicity of the vertical beams uh, pointing us to love God and the horizontal beam uh, to love each other. Before we uh, get into today and, and, and really kind of talk about the cross, I, I want to make one thing abundantly clear. I am eternally grateful for Christ uh, being crucified, willingly being crucified on the cross. That that. Uh, this talk in no means is meant to diminish that which is at the, at the core of, of our faith. But what I do believe is that there's been a misconception of what this symbol actually means, and I wheelheartedly believe and, un, and, and able to fully understand the significance of the cross, as we've talked about in this series, that you need to know the story of Israel. You need to know the life of Christ. And subsequently, I believe for us to understand our current place in the world, we need to be commissioned by the resurrection, re- resurrected Jesus, which we'll talk about next week, and to fulfill our mission of the church. So, 
uh, we will eventually be in the unfettered presence of Christ. So, I'm all about the cross and what what it symbolizes. Uh, But I do uh, also believe that much of American Christianity has taken the cross and turned it into something that it was never intended to be. And that's the whole story, the whole gospel. To use an illustration from pop culture, this is going to date me and it's going to date some of, of you. I remember when the original Star Wars came out, 1978, uh, 77, sorry, 1977. You just outed yourself as like some serious Star Wars geekness, but uh, good thing I didn't use a Star Trek analogy, huh? People get violent. Uh, All right, 1977, which I I knew that. Uh, But uh, as an eight-year-old kid, now I'm afraid to throw out a number. I'm pretty sure I was eight. Young kid, I remember going and seeing this movie, Star Wars. And it was, like, incredible. And, I mean, culture-shifting kind of movie. And, you know, for many years, we just referred to Star Wars, uh, 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 which its title is actually A New Hope, uh, as Star Wars. And, but later, now that we're in 2014, we realize that there was much more to the story, that five other movies have been made, right? And without those other five movies, we would have never known that Darth Vader was Luke's father. I'm your father, Luke. <laughs> I didn't ruin that for anybody, did I? I figure... <laughs> Like 40 years from, you know, removed from the movie being made, that like I was safe, you know, I, you ruined it for me, everything. We also would never have known that Jar Jar Binks was the most annoying character in the universe, right? You know, Obi-Wan and, and all, of, all of these guys, you know, all these things that we learned in the other five episodes. And, and, I, and, and I'm thankful that George Lucas made a six-part movie uh, to support the six symbols of the gospel. And if you know him, let him know that I appreciate it. It's an excellent point that he made. It cost zillions of dollars that, you know what, as good and awesome as Star Wars 1977 is, it's not the whole story, right? It's only a part of the story. And That is the cross, is absolutely essential that the cross is to our faith and the gospel. It is not the whole story. So, what is the significance of the cross, right? You know, what is the significance? And I I believe to understand that, that we need to first ask a question, who is God? Who is God? Now, I believe that if we went and did a man-on-the-street kind of thing with the video and we asked 10 different people, who is God, we would get probably 10 different answers. But I'm sure one of those answers would be uh, what the Bible teaches us, and that is God is love. 
Okay, great. What is love then? What is love? You know, what are, what, what are, what, you know, what, is, what does that mean? In fact, when uh, I was writing this book and I was thinking about this idea of love, I encountered a, a, a gal um, who goes to our church, I, and I didn't name her, who told me this, I love Call Me Maybe. The song, you know, hey, I just met you. This is crazy. You know that song, right? And, and I'm like, you love that? I mean, but the, aside that it's like one of the worst, you know, product, you know, just like everything that's wrong with the music industry, you know, besides, put that all aside, you love this song, really. And, and it really goes to the question, I, what is love? Because if God is love, and also love is I loving, call me maybe, man, we got a theological problem here that we got we to gotta wrestle with. Either God is not love, clearly, or she does not love, call me maybe. So which one is it? Well, obviously, being a pastor, uh, I would probably lend myself more to the biblical definition of love, which we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, this is the idea that, that you know, love, love is uh, patient, love is kind. Here, I'm trying to find my list. I don't know them all. Um, Love is never, uh, love is joyous in truth. Love is unrelenting. Love is faithful. Love is always hopeful. And love endures forever. I would wager that probably Call Me Maybe and her devotion to Call Me Maybe doesn't live up to the biblical definition of love. You know, I is it kind? Kind is it? Is it ever enduring? No, of course not. But let me propose this: that I I believe that there's a real issue that happens when we use words because words mean things and words matter, and when we use words that are at the heart of our faith. If God is love and we flippantly throw around the word love, that that impacts our connection and our view of how we view God. So, what needs to exist for love to exist? Other things, right? You need others to, to, uh, to exist in order for love to exist. And this is where kind of the rub comes in um, when we look at God, right? That So if, if God is love, who did God love before He created anything? Right? Because you, in, in itself, that, 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 is, the, that is the answer. And, and we see this, and it's graphically represented in the Trinity symbol, of, of how we see that, you know what, God is love because God is a relational God. 
And God is in relationship with himself. And the biblical understanding of God is that God's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And with those things in community, those, those three entities as one represent our understanding and concept of who God is. And this all lends itself and, and, and points itself for us to truly understand the magnitude of the cross. Because if God is love, and in order for love to exist, there has to be things to love and to love you, that we have these, this idea that not only God is love, but God is relationship in just kind of our understanding of, of Him. In fact, I wrote down five different things, five statements based on this. Number one, God cannot be understood outside of love. If God is love, and if you do not know what love is, you do not understand love. Love is non-existent out of relationship, right? Love does not happen in isolation. Love happens in community. Therefore, God cannot be uh, comprehended outside of the context of relationship. You can't understand God unless you understand relationships. And just as God is love, God is also relationship. God is love, God is relationship. Both would be correct to say. And then here's probably the, the strongest statement is... Everything about God is relational. If it is not relational, it is not of God. I mean, that's a bomb diggity statement right there, if you ask me. And that's the kind of statement that get you stoned if it's not right. And, but think about this. If this is true, let's think about creation. Everything in creation is relational, both macro and micro. From the interconnectedness of protons and electrons to the planetary gravitational pull of how the whole universe works together. It affects and interrelates everything. Whether it's quantum physics or metaphysics, God has built a whole universe around relationships. And if this is true, this should really radically change our understanding of God and how we even read the Bible. Again, we talked about this last, last week. If everything about God is relational and if, if the Bible and the key to uh, interpreting the Bible is to read it as how does this begin, build, or restore relationships, because God is relationship, God is love, that it should radically change how we view things. And the problem with this is that, that relational fluidity, just the nature of relationships, it makes people very, very uncomfortable. And I love it when uh, people are strong enough in their faith to allow for people to, uh, the relational space to grow. God, by the hand, uh, modeled 
this for us in Genesis chapter 2. That God was going through and He's creating all these different things, right? And what did God say after He created something? It is good. This is a good tree. This is a good bird. This is, you know, a good this. And, and you know, this is a good ecosystem. This is a good, you know, just uh, animal system. <laughs> I can't think of the word, but you know what I mean. It's all good. So, but it wasn't all good, was it? Because he created something and he said, this is not good. What was it? Man! You know, the ladies are like, yep. <laughs> but there's a problem with this. If God's perfect, did he make a mistake when he created man? No. Well, what was God doing there? He was creating the relational space for the man to see that he needed something to make him complete. You see, the man, who we later knew as Adam in the next chapter, but the, the, the perfect man uh, would, would observe what? Everything that was created in relationship, and he was in isolation. And God said, this is not, this is not good. And, and, and at, when Adam or the man realized this, God made him a partner. And this is the idea that the reason for the delay in this, the perfect delay, the creation of a situation that was less than ideal in the ideal state, was to put emphasis on the perfectness of giving relational space. One of the things that I absolutely love uh, about our church is how we do baptisms. You know, I, I say it's the best day ever. There's, there's many reasons that, that I believe it's the best day ever. One, I absolutely love the stories, and I love to hear people share their faith. And, uh, but it's also, uh, it's extremely interesting to me. Because you have a, a, a new believer, um, and with not a fully formed theology yet, right? Because they're new. And you have kind of like social baggage, and then we have, you know, just like what we're all bringing to it. And then you throw me in the mix that, you know, I like to make jokes and, and, and things like that. And, and it has the potential for some really just kind of unusual things to happen, right? Like today you come, you pretty much know what you're going to, you know, you know what to expect. You're, we're going to sing, we're going to have some teaching, and, and think you're going to be able to connect with folks. But on Baptism Sunday, you never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates, right? You know, you know to, to uh, quote the theologian uh, Gump. Uh, and and this, this Sunday, uh, I was interviewing or talking with somebody who was going to be baptized, and we're, we're talking and, and everything, and he starts talking about his previous lives and different worlds and things like that. I'm like, all right, 
you know, I'm listening to them and everything, and I'm like, this is really interesting. And then, and then at the end, what I, what I always do is I, I ask somebody, and I ask him, so in this life and in, 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 in this world, you know, do you proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because that's all, that's where we need to get to, right? And he's like, yes, and everybody, you know, collectively, you know, exhales and, and applauds and everything. And I'm like, oh, wow, that was crazy, but that was cool, you know, and, and, and everything. You know, somebody, and that week I had a very perturbed church member or attendee contact me. He said, I cannot believe that you did not correct, and I'll call it unorthodox theology, right? Right then and there. And I'm like, you know, and, 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 and there, there was, you know, some other conversation, and, and, and he came in and said, what if what he said damaged people's faith? And I said, was your faith damaged? He goes, absolutely not. I'm solid in my faith. I know the Bible. I'm like, okay. I said, how did you get there? How did, and he says, well, you know, I, I attended church and I went to, you know, Bible studies and I read the Bible and, and everything and, and to, to a point where I was solid in my faith. And, and I'm like, okay. So you're saying that people gave you the relational space and mentored you and guided you to go from not knowing anything to a place where you're now solid in your faith. I said, maybe we should afford this gentleman the same relational space that you and I were given. And to me, there's a choice that we, we have to make. Allowance for people's faults and lack of of, you know, doctrinal purity uh, to allow people to navigate that and discover it themselves takes a long view of relationships. It does. It says, you know what? You think that you've been reincarnated and, and everything. I know that you haven't had time to look at the Christian view on that. And you know what? I'm not going to humiliate you and make you, you know, utter kind of what accepted doctrine in order for you to be accepted in this community. You know what? We all come to the cross to, and, and follow beyond the cross in brokenness. And we do not see everything perfectly. But you know what? We as a community will come together and we will study Scripture and we will, we will seek out God to be molded and moved into the people that He has created us to be. And in order to create an environment that has the relational space for people to grow, you have to understand a godly love. And that godly love, again, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That love is patient. Nobody likes patience, but it takes time. None of us are, understand God right now as we did 20 years ago. Why? Because we have learned things, that we have grown. And we come to the cross in a place that 
we say with words that we are totally reliant, but then somewhere along the line we say, well, yeah, but my doctrine, my doctrine makes me a little bit better. I, my doctrine is a little bit better. And, and, you know, I'm not advocating for a free-for-all theology where every answer is the right answer, but I do not believe by, by somebody sharing their sto- gospel story of where they are in the faith that, that, you know what, the next week we're going to have a golden calf erected and we're going to be worshiping it, right? That, that, you know what, to have the wide open spaces of grace where we can, we can listen to people and be able to have those conversations where we open up Scripture and illuminate, illuminate God's Word. And the reality is that this all comes down to the cross and, and the symbol of the cross, which is a symbol of submission. You know, so often the Christian church has tried to exert dominance over its culture. Probably one of the most egregious examples of that is the Crusades, where where crusaders armed with their, their shields, and on their shields there was a cross, and on their apron thingies they had a cross, and they went to the Holy Land and told Muslims, convert to be Christians or we will kill you. And this kind of forced dominance over the culture in any kind of level renders the symbol of the cross and the powerful symbol of what it is meant to be useless. Because in the cross we have the all-powerful God, a God who is love, a God who is in relationships, willingly submitting Himself to the wrath of His creation, willingly paying the price for their transgressions. This cross is a symbol of submission. And every time the, the, song, the cross is sung about or worn or painted, it should make us ask the question, how am I submitting myself for the cause of relationship, the cause of relational wholeness with God and people. And I believe if this love is to persist through every adverse situation and trial and hurt, that it will bring a glimpse of infinite love. It will bring a glimpse of the purity of God. I also think that the cross is a symbol that, that portrays what uh, I call God's perfect weakness. And I know that that makes people feel uncomfortable when I, when I say that, but hear me out. The cross shows God's perfect weakness, and His perfect weakness is His love for His creation. And... In another baptism uh, story uh, Sunday where 
my kind of preconceived notion of how people came to faith was blown apart by this uh, single mother's uh, story. She told when she was just a little girl, when she was five years old, that her, her mother would have a, a string of boyfriends come in and out of the home, and they would just come and go, and you know, some were nice, some were not so nice, some were abusive, things like that. And finally, a uh, man came who would not go. And this man brought with him a toxic combination of Drugs, abuse, and cult-like religious fanaticism. And that is when her living hell began. And what this man would do and, 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 and encouraged her mother to come in is every time that this little girl would make any sort of mistake, that they would abuse her, they would beat her they would demean her. She told of one such instance where she accidentally spilt some milk and the boyfriend pulled her into the living room and called the mother in and decided that they were going to have some weird religious ceremony to exercise the demons out of this little girl. And they started to hit her and tell her that she was evil and that, that she was bad, and her mother was sitting there saying, God hates you. Now, I don't know if you can imagine a five-year-old little girl going through this. And then she said something that wrecked me. And maybe you remember, maybe you were here to hear this story. She said, every time I was hit, and every time my mother said, God hates you. There was a voice in my soul, as clear as can be, that I, I now recognize as Jesus' voice. It said, it's not true. I love you. They are lying. I love you. And in the cross, we see that that understanding that God, who is love, God who is, abs who is relationship, His perfect weakness, His creation. And to fully understand the cross, or at least partially, I shouldn't even say fully understand the magnitude of the cross, because we never will. But to even partially understand that we have to understand that, you know what, when Christ was arrested, he did not cry out. When Christ was beaten, he, was, he did not cry out. When he was nailed to the cross, he did not cry out. It was not until he took the sins of the world on him that he cried out, Elohim, Elohim. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did that rip apart Jesus? Why was that the point that he cried out? Because all that Jesus knew for all eternity was that he was God and God is love and God is relationship and he willingly went to the cross and 
took on the imperfections of us. And because he took on the imperfections of us, he could no longer be part of the Holy Trinity. And he went from perfect community to isolation. God showed his perfect weakness, his love, in that he loved us so much that he willingly allowed himself to be separated from perfect community in order for just the chance that you and I would accept relational reconciliation with him and hopefully that we would be agents of relational reconciliation with the world. I'm often asked, Mark, why don't we have a cross at E3 that's up all the time? And here's just kind of the answer. It's too profound to just have laying around. This is a special symbol in the Christian faith. This is the symbol that when we sing about it, when we wear it, when we see it, we should shudder at the price that was paid for us. That it's too important just to be there and not paid attention to. That's why we reserve it for special times, special days, that we can be intent on it. Because the cross is not an afterthought. The cross is not something that's nice. The cross is not something that makes us feel good. The cross is a symbol of submission. The cross, when taken to its full weight, should make us ask the question, how am I picking up my cross daily? What am I submitting to and sacrificing? Because my God gave all for us. You guys can. Thank you.